This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I am Juliet Jacobs. The proposed Maharani Energy Gateway Project in Moa, Johor will involve creating three man-made islands covering an area of about 3,240 acres and making it into an energy hub and deep sea port. So Sahabat Allah Malaysia recently assessed the quality of the Environmental Impact Assessment or EIA for the project and are of the opinion that it is far from adequate and cannot be approved as it exists. Among other reasons, SAM cites legal and policy matters, loss of fishing grounds and hindrance of access to the sea for fisher groups and also a lack of a comprehensive economic valuation assessment and cost and benefit analysis. So today I'm going to discuss all of this and more with Meenakshi Raman, the president of Sahabat Alam Malaysia. Welcome, Meena. How are you today? Uh, fine, Juliet. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mina. I've been having you on the show quite a bit <laughs> recently, but thank you always for making the time for us. Um, so let's get straight into it. So I think this project uh, caught a lot of us by surprise, actually. Uh, many of us hearing about it first during, um, you know, the Johor elections that just passed last month. Uh, was it the same for you guys at Sahaba Allah Malaysia? Yes, totally. I mean, until we saw the story in Malaysia, Kini actually reported um, on the EIA, many of us were actually caught off guard. Uh, we did not did not hear about this before, and I think one of the biggest issues here is the lack of transparency. How this project came about, who is behind it, and why? Um, why now? I think this is a very important question, and uh, there are more questions than there are answers as to how this project came to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, I mentioned briefly just now at the start, you know, uh, some of what the project is, but maybe you can help explain what this proposed project aims to actually create. Actually, it was rather surprising for us because, you know, um, the whole looking at it and I was trying to understand what exactly is the logic and the need for this project. And uh, it's still mind boggling. The more we look into it, the more it's mind boggling because it's really about First, it's about a reclamation project. Mm. As you said, 3,240 acres. Now, just to give a, um, in, 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 you know, an imagery of what that is, a football field is roughly like about a, an acre or so, a little more than an acre. So you're talking about 3,240 football fields. Now, imagine that kind of a size. And, um, and, and the other issue here is that it's for three, it's going to have about three islands or so. And then the whole issue is really about oil and gas storage and a deep sea port for ships to ply and mainly dealing with oil and gas and um, petrochemical plant refining, um, ship repair and so on. And so what really got us very um, confused is why in an era where we are talk, supposed to talk about or going towards addressing climate change and and, and, and the issues around um, climate resilient pathway and so on. Yeah. Why are we going down this road with such a huge, massive investment? Because mm-hmm. you have to remember first is the reclamation itself. Then all this topside development, as they say, is for oil and gas as, as the future. So it's really for, for us, we point out in our comments to the Department of Environment, oil and gas is actually a sunset industry. I mean, what we are doing is we're actually investing into um, what is called uh, an industry which is not seen as clean. It's yep. seen as dirty energy. Yep. And of course, the EIA justifies this to say that 
gas, you know, natural gas is the alternative fuel, is the bridge fuel and so on. But if you look at literature, it's very controversial because the more that we invest into these kinds of oil and gas investments, even if we look at um, natural gas as not CO2 emitting as much as CO2 emitting as oil, mm -hmm. but it's not a clean, clean fuel. It's not like renewable energy, like solar or wind. Yeah. It is emitting actually methane, which is really much more potent than CO2. It's much more short-lived, but it's extremely potent in terms of uh, greenhouse gas uh, warming. Mm. So here, and Johor, it's not like it doesn't have a port. It has the Tanjong Pulapas. Yeah. It, does, it also has oil and gas, um, you know, refining and so on, and petrochemical industries. You have the Telok Ramunia. And uh, so it's really mind-boggling for us. Why another oil and gas investment? And it's almost like we are throwing money or investments into stranded assets. Because in the longer term, we, have to, we are supposed to phase out oil and gas. It, we are supposed to, to not go into these investments for the longer term. Mm -hmm. and, and 2030, 2050 is not far away. So it really blows our mind that in this time of climate change and climate awareness, there is no consciousness in terms of this investment going into what we would call dirty energy and a dirty project. Okay. And um, as far as you know, Mina, um, who are some of the main stakeholders in this project? I mean, what are reports sort of pointing to? Well, this is the other thing that we had to look into. And um, first, it's very surprising that the Johor government is not even mentioned. Yeah? The EIA actually talks about the project proponent being the Maharani Energy Gateway Sundarian Bharat. And um, it actually only was incorporated last year, sometime in, the, in March of last year. So what you actually see here is that something that is totally new, um, in, in, you know, and, and we don't know what prompted this. But what we, are, what we have read even from Malaysia Kini is that the Johor Sultan is involved in this. Um, we understand that the, the share structure from the Belezekini report for the Maharani Energy Gateway project is similar to that of Forest City. And um, they link to some shareholder called Dain Malik, who is also the co is, is uh, similarly a co-shareholder with the Johor ruler. So these are questions that, have, that are emerging. Why is this? I mean, it looks like they're very influential forces behind this project. And also, as we just saw in the recent Johor elections, this suddenly came out. So it's, it really is something that begs a lot of questions. And the lack of transparency doesn't bode well. And so for public interest groups like us, we are extremely concerned. First, we already are asking about the need for it itself. Mm -hmm. As I've already argued, in a, in a climate change world, this is not really where we want to go. And we're not going to be investing in stranded assets for the future. Secondly, we already have these kinds of industries already in Johor. So why another? And the other thing that we also are very concerned about is that if you really look at the environmental impact assessment, it only assesses a five kilometer radius of the zone of impact. Now, it has not looked at what this would mean for um, Port Klang, West Port. It doesn't look at what is the meaning, what is the implication of this for Tanjong Pulapas. 
it doesn't also uh, look at the implications for the, the telogramunia in Pengerang and all that. So a lot of issues here which have not been addressed in the EIA. Okay. And, you know, you, you mentioned why you don't think this is a, a good idea, but has there been any, any sort of public, I don't know, um, explanation or rationale given as to why this project is needed in the first place? I mean, like, you know, who will it supposedly benefit those sorts of things? Anything at all in the public realm? No, not at all. Until we saw the EIA, we had no idea, as we said, so we were all caught by surprise. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the EIA, as I said, what they are claiming is that um, the, the the project proponent and the EIA consultants who did this, that this is really about um, alternative fuel. Okay. You know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's almost painting it as if it's climate friendly when it is not. This does not, um, first of all, the reclamation itself is not, not climate friendly. I mean, this is, we must not forget yeah. that what we are talking about is the oil and gas, but actually behind the oil and gas, before we even get to that, is the massive reclamation that is happening. And um, one of the reasons why we are questioning also, if you look at the structure plan for Johor, now everything is being changed to accommodate this project very recently, just last year. Mm. So you you look at the Johor structure plan, it has not been gazetted at that. There are some amendments being proposed in the drafts Johor structure plan for this. And uh, even in the local plan for the um, Moa area, where it's actually supposed to be a water body, that area outside Moa, um, outside Bandar Maharani, actually is supposed to be um, a water body. And according to the National Physical uh, Plan, mm. that area on the, in the coast is actually ranked as environmentally sensitive area two, rank two. And if you look at the rank two, in rank two, you don't allow these kinds of oil and gas investments or industry. You can't have any industry. At the most, what the National Physical Plan um, actually suggests for uh, for uh, environmentally sensitive, sensitive areas of this kind is only low impact activity like tourism, recreation and research. So it is very mind blowing that while you have all this, suddenly you have these changes that are being made and it's not even gazetted as yet. There are proposals that have been made and we are worried that what will happen is that this is all um, the, the, the governance um, and, and, and the policies and the laws are not going to be followed. Another case of, of untransparent governance and everything done to legitimize a project of this nature. Actually, for a project of this nature, by now, there should have been consultation with the National Physical Planning Council, or what, what in Malay is called the Majlis Perancangan Physical Negara. This is actually headed by the Prime Minister, and it's a body where all the Mantri Basas and the Chief Ministers also sit together, especially in areas of reclamation and port infrastructure. For these types of projects, um, the federal agencies and the state agencies have to consult. It's say that the Town and Country Planning Act very clearly says, shall have the duty to consult and seek advice of this National Physical Planning Council, because the idea there is to look at this from a um, national scale. It's not just a Johor issue. It has a national issue because you also, as I said, you have implications for the Straits of Malacca. And it's a very, very busy strait, as we all know. You have many states along the, the coast. And we've also heard about all the other reclamation projects 
from Malacca to Penang to, and then the implications for um, Westport, which is really a very major port, um, and even even the Penang port and so on. So it's a national issue and a national concern. And also, if you're going into oil and gas investments in the era of the Paris Agreement and in the era of where our Malaysia's nationally determined contribution under the Paris Agreement, we're supposed to be Paris aligned, and there's an uh, you know announcement of going net zero by 2050, yeah. low emissions pathway. So all these have implications, but uh, the EIA doesn't address any of this. Okay, all right. We're just going to go for a quick break, Mina. When we come back, um, I know that Sam has come up with like some eight points, you know, to explain why the EIA uh, should be rejected. We'll go into that after this quick break. I'm speaking today to Minakshi Raman. She's the president of Sahaba Ala Malaysia. She's helping us to give an assessment of the Maharani Energy Gateway Project. Uh, basically, Sam recently assessed the quality of the environmental impact assessment. We'll discuss that after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. With me on the line today is Minakshi Raman. She's the president of Sahabat Alam Malaysia. She's helping us to give an assessment of the Maharani Energy Gateway Project. Sahabat Alam Malaysia recently assessed the quality of the EIA for the project and are of the opinion that it is far from adequate. So, uh, Mina, you you know, you know, guys gave a, came up with a very detailed assessment, uh, many, many points there, uh, and you say that it cannot be approved as it exists. Am I correct? Um, maybe you can can help walk us through some of the major points, um, you know, that you guys have highlighted in your assessment. Yeah, the first one, as we said, are the legal and policy issues, which I explained just now, yeah. related to the uh, town and country planning process, not having any um, advice from the National Physical Planning Council, um, the, the MOA district local plan and the Johor State structure plan, all in draft forms. So as it is, they cannot be approved because in the environmental impact um, assessment process under the Environmental Quality Act, this is what happened in the Penang State, uh, Penang South Reclamation Project, mm-hmm. where the fishing community had appealed to the um, appeal board under the Environmental Quality Act. And we took the view um, that you, the, the Department of Environment has no authority to approve an environmental impact assessment without the actual gazetted structure plan or local plan, and even for the approval of the National Physical Planning um, Council. Okay. Uh, not approval, but clearance, yeah? But in the case of the, of, of the Penang uh, South Reclamation, we argued that the, the project at the time when it was approved contravened the, uh, the Penang Structure Plan of 2020. It was not gazetted. Uh, it was not replaced at that time okay. by the new structure plan. So the appeal board agreed with us and the case now, uh, we succeeded and now it's on appeal. The Penang State Government is appealing. Likewise, in the case of the Johor Reclamation, until and unless the structure plans and the local plan are all gazetted and they are legal and the um, National Physical Planning Council uh, gives advice and recommendations, this project cannot be approved by the Department of Environment. Okay. Um, we are we worry that sometimes this is not followed, and th- th- this will be a legal and policy issue that can be challenged. Um, the second is actually, as we said, the statement of need fails to take into account the urgency address climate change, and the transition towards renewable energy, um, and risking the project itself risking to serious financial risks 
due to stranded assets in the future. Sure. And so, and also, what is the implication of this project in terms of Malaysia's ability to meet its uh, Paris, con- um, you know, NDC, mm. what the target and pledges and so on. So this is another issue that we have raised. And then we have also looked at the environmental impact assessments itself in terms of the project. Um, one of the things is also the sea level rise um, due to climate change. This is an aspect that is very weak in the EIA. Actually, the EIA has failed to assess the potential impact of the tidal intrusions um, due to sea level rise and climate change and whether the proposed project will cause saline intrusion into Sungai Moa. So these are all very important aspects. The effect of flooding, stagnant water, and then, um, you know, you have Pantai, Masra, Sri Pananti, um, what will be the impact of that? The Kampong Sri Mananti has been experiencing inland flooding and inundation whenever there is a high tide phenomenon. So given the sea level rise and the climate change, the proposed project may aggravate the situation. And we found that the EIA doesn't look at this enough. And also the deduction, we, the, the fact that what it says is that the reclamation activities on the mangroves is insignificant uh, because the hydraulic simulation study found that the Proposed works will have no impact on the water level. We think that this is baseless and questionable. Um, so we are really challenging the assessment in, on, on that basis. Mm-hmm. Another, another important aspect also is really the, I want to talk about the sand mining. Okay. Um, usually in these reclamation projects, similar to the Penang South reclamation, the DOE's process is actually, the Department of Environment's EIA um, process is actually very, very flawed. Because what you see here is that they look at the, they do an environmental impact assessment for the reclamation. And then the sand mining is a separate EIA. So what is not done is to look at the cumulative impacts of this project, this Maharani project, both in relation to the, the um, environmental impact assessment as far as the reclamation is concerned and the environmental impact assessments of sand mining itself. Okay. Now, just to give you the scale of the sand, the volume that will be involved here, we are talking about 300 million cubic meters of um, sand. And this is something like 120,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools of sand. Now, mm. imagine what this will mean in terms of you know, putting sand dumping sand, earth on land. Because it is in the sea and it's underwater, we are not able to see the massive impact. So where's the sand coming from? Where's the rock coming from? Where's the gravel coming from? So it will have to involve our rivers. It will have to be dredging of the seas. So you, the massive um, cumulative impact of sand mining for this reclamation is not addressed at all, at all, at all. And this, we say, is very, very flawed. And the Department of Environment has not addressed this. They continue to allow this kind of um, what we call segmenting of EIAs without looking at the holistic impact as a, in totality. Mm-hmm. So this is a major flaw. Another, of course, is the loss of fishing ground. Uh, very important for the fisher folk there. Um, you know, there are about 1,000-odd fishing fishermen there. And then as... People always point out you have to look at the household involved as well. So if you have 1,000, you're talking about 5,000 
people affected sure. Sure. by um, this because the fishing community is very, very dependent on the sea and the seabed, of course. And so here, the fishing community is, is thriving. Same like the Penang South Reclamation, we are always under the impression that fishing communities are so poor, they cannot depend on fishing anymore. We have to re replace them and make them other, you know, or, or push them into deep sea fishing or take them somewhere else or give them alternative jobs, you know, like mm -hmm. service workers in oil and gas industry. All this is nonsense, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, this fishing community, from what we have heard from the fishing community in that area, it's very thriving. Moa is very famous for its, its fish. And um, the restaurants uh, the, that are booming around that area, I understand that Singaporeans come by the flocks to come there to enjoy the seafood in that area. So the, that area is famous for seafood, and it's such an important critical livelihood issue for the local fishermen there. So why not keep it that way? Why do you take this place away from, from the communities that actually are the beneficiaries of this, this kind of activities and uproot them and displace them? And, and then they claim that, oh, you're going to replant mangroves somewhere else. We will give them alternative jobs. We'll have silt curtains and all kinds of, it, it's really nonsensical. So it's really heartbreaking because I, I, that's, that's why we keep asking at the end of the day, um, this development is for whom? It's for what? And who is behind it? So don't give the excuse that, oh, fishermen will benefit because it's, it's you know, I can't, I can't use um, non-diplomatic language on your station, <laughs> but we don't buy this anymore. Okay. So, so that is a major loss for, will be a major loss for the fishing community. And then, of course, the proposal of removing mangroves is also intolerable because they are so important for, for you know, the coastal ecosystem. We're talking about climate resilient development pathway. You know, we just heard the IPCC in the last report, mm. you know, how you need to be promoting this. Here you're removing the coastal mangroves and your coastal, your res coastal resilience, making the communities in that area much more less resilient in the rise of climate change and, and, and you're not adapting and so this is crazy. It's really crazy, um, to say the least. And then, of course, um, incomplete marine risk assessment because we don't, we have not seen the full. It's not the full um, marine risk assessment has not been shown. Like I said, you know, no, no, no recognition of the impacts on all the ports and and so on. Uh, um, further away from the five kilometer radius, and then the, really the economic valuation and the cost and benefit analysis. I mean, it's really not thorough at all, very inadequate. And, you know, it's always about valuing um, what is lost in terms of the fishing catch and this and that, and usually underestimating the cost of that. Mm. Because as far as we understand it, the fishing community is quite a thriving. And also it's an aquaculture. There's a part of an aquaculture area as well, um, which is supposed to be, in, uh, that's why it's called an environmentally sensitive area. Right. So a lot of gaps in this, and we are very, very worried that given the powers that be and the influences of, you know, higher forces, that this may just be rammed through at the expense of the environment for the benefit of a small group of elites, and, and which is totally, totally counter to what, you know, when we talk about build back better, or go better or climate resilience, this is really not it. 
it is really going in the wrong direction and sending very, very wrong signals about what Malaysia is about in terms of our future. Mm-hmm. And as far as Sam's concerned, I mean, what are your recommendations um, in light of everything that you've just listed, all of those findings? Well, we should leave this area alone. You know, yeah. if this is, I mean, we have never supported reclamation. No reclamation in Penang, no reclamation in, in, in Malacca, not in Parak, not in uh, Johor or anywhere else. Even there is actually we've been calling for um, a, a halt in reclamation in the country. Because as I said in a previous uh, um, you know, broadcast, it's really a mafia, a sand mining mafia, which is, I, I will call it a mafia because it looks like it's going everywhere. A small group of people probably involved mining and, and removing all of this. And this again is a huge um, profit, of course, at the expense of the environment. And so it, it, this, this should not be allowed. So our recommendation is not about, you, no matter what you talk about in terms of mitigation, you know, you usually in reclamation projects, there are lots of, you know, um, ideas like silk curtains and this and that. And they actually, uh, you know, the environment once removed, disturbed, will not be able to be replaced in its, in its form. Mm-hmm. So you cannot have that same term that would support um, the kind of, um, you know, thriving fish industry, food security, because fish is very important and so on. Remember Forest City, yeah. um, fantastic mangroves also destroyed, wetland areas which were sacrificed, you know, pristine areas. And now you have an abandoned project there. Now, why are we doing this? It really, I mean, I all Malaysians have to ask this question. Is this the kind of environmentally destructive projects we want to go, environmentally unsound, climate, not climate safe. We're not building a future which is environmentally sound or climate safe. So as far as Sam is concerned, we will never support projects like this. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, just to reiterate, it's not that Sam is anti-development. It's not that any of these, um, you know, NGOs or uh, civil society organizations are anti-development. But these just don't really make any sense whatsoever. Because, like you said, in Johor, it's not like there's a shortage of land uh, in the first place that they need to go and reclaim the coast, right? So to build and and put, I don't know, and to create more land. Yeah, exactly. First, is there's not a question issue of land shortage, and even if. If you look at the need, even if they argue that you will LN, you know, natural gas, the future, and you know, mm-hmm. the oil and gas are not going to be phased out. You know, we need alternative fuel instead of investing precious resources in renewable energy and scaling up solar and wind and so on. Here we are dumping into this kind of thing. It's not that Johor doesn't have these industries already; they have. Mm-hmm. So why do you replicate something which is already there? You know, like Taluk Ramunia, like, uh, you know, Tanjung Pulapas and all that. Why? So so it doesn't, um, you know, there's no logic. So if you're really interested in, in, and we are not anti-development, but when we look at development, you know, it's like, it's, this is development, which is destruction. In, the, in, this, in this new era of looking, and I can't keep coming back to, looking at everything from a climate change lens, not because we are crazy, but because if you don't do it, you're being crazy. And the climate lens is very, very key. We are not paying attention to climate resilience. And so 
even if they looked at it from a climate lens, which they have not enough, some will argue that, you know, the reclamation itself is a climate change uh, mitigator. Like reclamation will actually, you know, construction and establishment of islands will protect the coast. And this is a climate response. I mean, we've heard this in Penang. Okay. Yeah, yes, with the yes. Penang state government. Uh -huh. Unbelievable. A total distortion of the science and, and, the, and, the, um, and, and you know, the logic. So we have to move away with this kind of destructive development. We talk about sustainable development. We talk about the sustainable development goals. We talk about SDGs, you know, as Malaysia is really, uh, you know, supportive of SDGs and this is the way to go. A lot, and they have policies, huh? the national biodiversity policy, national climate change policy, all this remain as policies without being translated in real terms. So if you, if we just had the big fights in um, the biodiversity convention, you know, under the Convention on Biological Diversity, they are negotiating new targets. Now we need to recognize that we have to move away from these old destructive types of unsustainable development to sustainable development and climate resilient development, mm. which actually will benefit by ecosystem protection. I know there are international funds for climate and for forests and for um, biodiversity protection. We, as a, we should use these international resources and domestic resources. I mean, if you look at the 12 Malaysia plan, it talks about a circular economy. It talks about um, a climate resilient pathway um, and so on. And we have financing, low, uh, you know, sukuk develop, you know there's some green bonds and things like that. Go green. I mean, if we really mean green, we have to go green. And it's not because we are greeny loony, but that's what the science is telling us. That the less, you know, we are, we all these plans are all these kinds of investments and projects actually undermine the ability, our sustainable future, undermines our ability to redress climate change, undermines our food security. We are, are we supposed to, when Moir is thriving with food, with fish and seafood, why don't we enhance these kinds of, of, of employment, which will actually benefit the poor? Now, is this project for the rich or for the poor? I would argue that these forms of development are for the rich. And if it's coming from the top of, um, you know, the, the Johor, why? Why are the rich having to be made richer? We cannot have these kinds of inequity. We cannot have be widening inequality. And it's totally anti-sustainable development goals. The poor will become poorer and the rich will become richer. Is this what sustainable development is about? So you don't even have to look at it from an environmental lens. Look at it from the sustainable development point. And so you are actually widening the, the rich and poor gap. So is Johor about widening inequality and inequity? Are, is, is, is this the, the, are we justifying environmental destruction in the name of some people? Again, my famous Birkin bags and where will this stop, Juliet? Where will it stop? Enough of greed, just enough. We've had enough. And I hope that people and who are listening, Malaysians who are listening, we are against corruption. We are, we are calling for good governance. 
I'm not alleging any corruption here. I'm saying that we are, I'm just saying that we are very sick and tired of corruption and elite kind of development, which is destructive of our sustainability with widening gaps between the rich and poor. And coming out of a COVID pandemic, where the recovery is very difficult, with more debts going, we have to pay um, uh, you know, more debts. Why do we invest in an unsustainable form of, of, of uh, development? So this is why you know, Sam is incredibly outraged by a project of this nature, and we have to stop it. We have to stop it. Couldn't agree with you more, Mina. I mean, we are seeing reclamation projects. I mean, it's not just Malaysia, though, is it? We're seeing it globally as well. There's so many of these projects. And of course, the question is, I mean, we are told it's meant to, you know, it's going to benefit the communities. It's, you know, all about, um, you know, uh, creating opportunities and things like that. But like like you said, you know, who is it actually going to benefit? What are going to ha- What's going to happen to all these local communities directly affected? So, yeah, these are the questions that everybody should be asking. Um, before I let you go, Mina, I mean, any any last message that you'd like to leave us with? Do you think there should be a moratorium on coastal reclamation projects, particularly in Malaysia? Anything at all that you'd like to leave us with? Well, more than a moratorium, which actually should be an outright ban on further reclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we, we really, we have seen so much of destruction already. And it's it's really not something that we need. Malaysia is not Singapore. Um, we, 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 it's not that we don't have enough land. So we don't have to go this route at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I would say. The other, of course, is I would appeal to the powers that be in Johor. Please. You know, we've seen the destruction of the forest city. We don't need much more reclamation of this kind, which is really um, counterproductive. So I appeal. I mean, we are nobody. Yeah? We are a small NGO trying to do our best. And uh, so we really appeal to the for the, to the powers that be, including the state government of Johor and the new Mantri Basa. I mean, he's a young Mantri Basa. He should be more conscious because, the, you know, when you see the young voters coming out, it's the young who are very concerned about the future of this country. And if we are all concerned about climate change, we are concerned about the environment, we are concerned about sustainability issues, then all of us, in all good conscience, should ensure that these kinds of projects are not encouraged. So not just in Johor, but everywhere. So so ban, actually, we are not, you know, end, end reclamation, no more reclamation is what we would say. And also invest in sustainable futures, you know, in the right kind of environment-friendly, climate-friendly, together with nature. And lots of NGOs, lots of young people, we talk about tree planting, we talk about, um, agroecology, we talk about mangrove protection and, you know, living in harmony with nature and nature and mother nature will support um, the resource. You know, you, you go to, like I said, the fishing fishing community, they know why an, an ecosystem is so important. So you sustain the ecosystem and the ecosystem will sustain livelihoods and we will sustain food security. Very simple. So these are kinds of projects that should be where the money should go environment-friendly, climate-friendly projects, biodiversity projects, uh, I mean, adaptation and, and, you know, climate. These these are climate adaptation responses and they are connected to nature. They're not related to carbon markets and and so on, but they are about increasing our climate resilience and our environmental resilience. 
and 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 in rooted in local communities. The communities, um, you know, it's not just a cliche. You just don't talk about rosy pictures of communities, but really the development in the hands of people, the fisher folk, the farmers, the indigenous peoples, the local communities, that they are in the front line driving the kinds of development that should need to happen, which sustains their their you know all the good things, the multiple functions of the ecosystem for water, for climate response, for everything, but also it sustains livelihoods, their money, mm -hmm. it addresses poverty, it reduces income inequality, you know, perfect sustainable development goal types of projects, which are the ones that need to be upscaled, not this kind. So I think that we have to, um, we have, we need a complete change. And that's why a young Mantri Basa, I appeal to the Johor Mantri Basa, think about what the future is about in terms of real sustainability. Not This is not where Johor should go. We shouldn't have, have Johor being looked on as a dirty energy state, because that's what it's looking like. Petrochemical, oil and gas, this is not what Johor should be about. Johor should be about green. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mina, um, for joining me today. And of course, you know, if anybody would like more information or to read that uh, assessment that you guys did in full, they just need to head to uh, Sabat Alam's website. That's foe-malaysia.org. Or we can follow you guys on social media, right? Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. Am I correct? Yes. Thank oh. you. Um for letting the public know. Yeah. My, my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been speaking to Minakshi Rahman, President of Sahabat Alam Malaysia. She was helping uh, give a, an assessment of the uh, proposed Maharani Energy Gateway Project. Again, just head to the Sahabat Alam website if you'd like to find out more. And if you miss any part of today's interview, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.